0: So, Will. Yes. As referenced at the end of last week's episode, Mystic Pizza is the source of one of TV's great fictional musical songs. You know, JoJo, when life keeps handing you anchovies, just cover them up with some extra cheese and make a pizza. Will, what you got? Life is a pizza. The Mystic Pizza musical. From 30 Rock.
1: I will say, it is unfortunate that it turns into, like, a multi-episode fat joke. But the premise that being in Mystic Pizza means Jenna Maroney has to eat an entire (laughs) pizza on stage eight times a week is very funny.
0: I know. It's a very unfortunate joke. And honestly, not one of their worst. Because I think it is trying to not be just making fun of her for being fat. But not doing a good job. Yes, I think, like, a funnier version of it, because, like,
1: part of their thing is they're, like, I'm used to this now, so I keep eating stuff like this. The joke should be she looks the same, but her metabolism now requires her to eat an entire pizza every day.
0: That part is just so funny. But it did lead me to want to know, what is your favorite fictional musical? So, one that doesn't exist but is referenced in a movie or TV show?
1: It's actually one that we talked about on this podcast many years ago
0: which, one? Uh, which means
1: that you probably don't remember it nope at
0: all. probably have no details
1: in the movie the tall guy
0: oh my god jeff the elephant man musical
1: so jeff goldblum plays the elephant man in an elephant man musical directed by a thinly veiled andrew lloyd Webber stereotype yes but that's not the one i want to see staged what i want to see is after opening night he talks about his next product which is called a hunch and is a musical adaptation
0: of richard the <laughs> third yeah. Oh, God. That, yes. That I would like to see. I would love to see not Andrew Lloyd Webber's comedy Richard
1: Third musical. The song title that he mentioned was called I've Got a Hunch, I'm Gonna Be King.
0: Wow. Perfect. I would honestly think that would be really funny.
1: Is that the best joke Richard Curtis has ever written?
0: Yes. I think it might be. I think it might be. It's really good. I've Got a Hunch, I'm Gonna Be King. Come on. Come on. So what about you, Mark? What did you think of? Okay. So obviously, because even better than Mystic Pizza, the musical from 30 Rock is The World juror, the musical. Sorry, The Roger. The rur The first line of which the Irma Lerman Merman murder turned the bird's world lurid, the whir and a purr of a twirling girl she would the world were demurer, is perfect writing.
1: I know we've acknowledged that most of our episodes include at least one 30 Rock reference, but this is going to be a wild time for that. I know.
0: It's hard not to when you're doing Mystic Pizza. When I found out that there was a movie called Mystic Pizza after watching 30 Rock, that's how I learned this movie exists. You didn't know? No, I didn't. But some other hits I want to mention. Put that thing back where it came from, or so help me, from Monsters, Inc., I love the concept of an office musical, The Nightmare Cometh from It's Always Sunny, but that we basically get the, the whole man. thing, so The, the Nightmare night oh my god, pardon me. Which they
1: did stage, like, that musical exists.
0: Yeah, and then O oh, Streetcar from The Simpsons, the musical adaptation you know of what? Streetcar Named Desire. That is the correct answer. Yeah. Because... Just The ending sequence
1: of, like, a rousing ensemble number, you can always count on the kindness of strangers, is, like, peak 90s Simpsons. Where you're just, like, it's baffling to imagine that a, like, network gave a prime, prime time slot for a joke about a musical adaptation of a Tennessee Williams show.
0: That... That, oh my god, I'm gonna rewatch that episode tonight before bed, probably. I'm probably gonna
1: do it right after we stop recording.
0: Yeah, same. But yeah, so I wanted to save the fun fact that I didn't know Mystic Pizza was a real musical, <laughs> or real movie, until watching this. And I asked my mom, and she was like, yeah, of course it's a movie. But I think that is a good note to start the episode on. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative
1: podcast dedicated to examining the least important question facing the world today. What's the secret
0: ingredient in that pizza? And has there ever been anyone like Julia Roberts? I mean, also, no. are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter
1: if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in and see what's there. And this week, as we've said, we are taking a look at Donald Petrie's sweeping, coming-of-age romance, Mystic Pizza. The movie that brought Julia Roberts to the rom-com. Julia Roberts. My God. <laughs> a star. Yeah. She immediately in this movie, you're, she's just captivating.
0: It's the same thing with Steel Magnolias. Like she just Which is a year pops. after this. Yeah. Right. There's a magnetic pull between her and the camera. It makes sense why she then gets Steel Magnolias. And then Steel Magnolias explains why she becomes the biggest like, movie star in the world.
1: Right, Julia Roberts goes, 1988 is the year she first appears in a movie. She's a supporting character in a movie called Satisfaction earlier in the year.
0: But Julia Roberts, you go,
1: 1988 Mystic Pizza, 1989 Steel Magnolias, which she's only in the beginning of, but the whole movie's oriented around her. And then 1990 Pretty Woman, and then she's the biggest female star in America.
0: And I would argue continues to be one of the biggest female stars, even if she doesn't act that much. Everyone knows who she is. Mark, do you know that she is on TV right now? Is she back on... T- I know she did Homecoming, which was an Amazon Prime TV show. Yeah, that was a, a podcast adaptation <laughs> because that's where we're at. Oh my
1: god. Yeah, she's on one of the premium channels, Showtime maybe, doing uh, a story about Martha Mitchell, the wife of Nixon's attorney general who like played a key role in revealing a bunch of stuff around Watergate.
0: Hmm. Nothing speaks to our cultural moment more than Julia Roberts being on premium cable.
1: And I'm kind of like, she should be in movies. And I feel like this year, one of the narratives that we're seeing in film is a test of like, do movie stars still matter? Because I think the story of the 2010s in a lot of ways is the rise of IP and the decline of the movie star, where you have these people who can anchor billion dollar movies. But when they go outside that nobody goes to see it, like nobody will follow Robert Downey Jr. to the judge or to do little. Now, it would probably have helped if those movies were good, but once upon a time, that didn't matter. Yeah. And like, even like you take a guy like Tom Holland, like Uncharted does a lot of money, but like, what are the Tom Holland vehicles besides that? It's like just Spider Man movies. And I think one of the narratives I've been seeing in 2022 movies is kind of the pushback of the old style of like, what if we make not just old style movies like Roland Emmerich making Moonfall, but like movie star movies? So, like, we have The Lost City which is a movie star movie that is Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum carrying a movie on the strength of their star personas. And Tatum also had
0: Dog. I would say The Lost City is a good example of why it can work. Right. The Lost
1: City is a testament to the power of a movie star because that script is okay. There are some really good jokes in it. It is basically Romancing the Stone. Yes. But what makes it work is like Sandra Bullock Being a Sandra Bullock character. And you love it because you love Sandra Bullock. You have this relationship with her that goes back to the 90s. To, like, speed and while you were sleeping. And all of that. And then, moving on into the year, you know, there's Top Gun Maverick. Which is just a movie about the importance of movie stars. And, you know, here, you know, we're about to have the opening of Bullet Train. Which is like, okay, Brad Pitt's a movie star. Let's prove it again. And... I mean, I have a lot of affection for, like, the star-driven movies of the 80s and 90s, and I, I hope that these movies continue to be successful. We're recording before Top Gun Maverick has opened, and there's a part of me that worries it's going to be a gigantic flop. And I hope it's not, because I want studios to put money towards movies anchored around movie stars, as opposed to just, like, more Uncharted's.
0: I am very hopeful for Bullet Train.
1: I am really excited about Bullet Train.
0: Because Brad Pitt in The Lost City, doing his, like, he hasn't been goofy in so long. Seeing him be goofy was one of the my favorite parts of the movie.
1: Yeah. I feel like Brad Pitt, like, the last decade of Brad Pitt's career has been so interesting, where, like, he, like, around the time of his divorce, he, like, in his career... One, he shifts more and more to producing, and, like, he gets his first Oscar for producing 12 Years a Slave. And, like, Plan B is really good. Like, he produces a lot of movies that might not get made otherwise, and often, like, movies that Brad Pitt could not be in, which I really respect. Where, like, he's a producer on Minari, and Mm. I have a lot of respect for that.
0: He is a producer. He is not someone who is producing movies to be in.
1: Which is also fine. Like, Jessica Chastain uses the force of her cachet and money and power to get jessica chastain vehicles made like to make something like the 355 i'm fine with that like do that that's a good yeah, thing I, to do but i i, I have, have a lot a, of respect like, for what no Bradford problem does with in that Hollywood. but then also at the same time like that's when he's doing like his terrence malick movies and ad astra which i love but is like the most non-movie star performance ever where like on the one hand he's like the only guy in the movie which is pretty movie starry But there's like no charisma to that performance deliberately. And then he does Mm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is just pure charisma. That's a movie star. He gets his acting Oscar. And now it feels like he's back and Brad is fun again. And let's go.
0: Yeah, I'm hopeful. I think it'll be fun. That's all I want it to be is fun.
1: Yeah. And it's fun to go back to sort of the beginnings of that period and see some of this generation of stars starting out like Julia Roberts here. There was a lovely uh, line in Roger Ebert's review of this movie where he said like, Mystic Pizza, like, a lovely movie, a good movie. He gave it three and a half stars out of four. But he said in it, he's like, this movie, I think, will ultimately become more famous for launching a generation of stars than for itself. And Julia Roberts is the only one who becomes a megastar out of it. But, like, Annabeth Gish and Lily Taylor have good careers going on.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, he didn't narrow it down, but, like, this movie truly launched, you know, the star.
1: You're talking about Vincent Philip D'Onofrio?
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs>
1: Well, he had already been in Full Metal Jacket. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I just... And I. it also helps that this is a enjoyable movie. This movie's really good. This movie is very good. It's so nice. It's just... It's not, you know, sappy. But it's just three gal pals living their lives and going through trouble. But they're still pals.
1: Yeah, I will say, you know... I meant I in the introduction like not deliberately or anything. I called this a rom-com and that certainly is what I had in my head, but it's not really a rom-com. It's closer to something like Steel Magnolias or, you know, there's this genre of movies in the 80s and the 90s that includes this and Steel Magnolias and and like Waiting to Exhale and a whole bunch of other stuff that are just like movies about communities of women going through life together and talking about their experiences and supporting each other. And it's it's kind of fascinating that this was frequent enough that we could describe it as a genre. But I was very pleasantly surprised to find that Mystic Pizza fits more into that than into the romantic comedy genre because it winds up being this very, as you said, very nice, very lovely, heartfelt portrait of these people. And unlike, say, Steel Magnolias, it's about people who are young. And I think the movie is very specifically about the fact that they are adults. Like, it's not about... I mean, they are teenagers, but it's not about them being like high school teenagers, but it's very specifically about young adults and feels sort of pointedly about that in a way that I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. It also just like, it's, it's such a well crafted story. It gives you wins at the right time. Like there's almost like a Titanic quality, like the movie Titanic quality to it where you have these highs, you have these lows, but it ends in just the right place where like I was tempted to hit play on it again as soon as it ended.
0: I love that there are wins scattered throughout, and they're often like, small. And they're yeah, they're often small wins, but it like gives you that it's not just a series of, you know, depressing moments with a happy ending. Like the moment when the review of the restaurant airs on television after you've been
1: seeing them going through some relationship struggles, and that's all it is like I'm a so review happy. of a pizza place on television, and there's such catharsis in that. Where it's like, right, the movie understood that we needed a
0: little win right now. And that gives us the boost to keep going. In the way that happens in life. Yeah, I mean, life is up and down. Like, we don't live movies. We don't live in a five-act structure. One thing I really loved about this movie is that Kat's happy ending was going to Yale. Like, she was hurt along the way. But it was very nice to see that her ambition was rewarded a couple of years ago
1: when we did our, our Oscars episode for 2019, we talked about little women. And one of the things we talked about with that movie is that part of what makes it magical is one. I mean, I think the whole thesis of that movie is when Joe describes her book as being just about their little lives. And I think this is another movie that it's just about their little lives, but like little women, it over and over again is trying to say like, there is not an invalid way for these characters to be a woman. And they can Mm. pursue that in very different ways, and no one is better than another, and it's not shaming any of them. Even you could imagine Daisy in a lesser movie really being shamed for who she is, and the movie never fails to give each of them dignity in their own way.
0: It's such a nice movie.
1: I was really astonished how much I liked this, but I really liked it.
0: It was just a very well-crafted story of these women's lives, and you're very invested in them, I think they do a good job of not falling into any traps. Like, I don't notice them, like, falling into tropes in a bad way. Like, yeah, the storylines can be predictable, but,
1: yeah. I think a lot of that is probably a testament to the woman who originally wrote the screenplay, Amy Jones, who Mm -hmm. had started out as an editor. Like, she worked with Scorsese and Joe Dante. She did a lot of work for Roger Corman as an editor and as a production assistant. So she wrote the screenplay, she was originally set to direct it, but ultimately left because she had fights with Sam Goldwyn Jr. over rewrites, and then new drafts were done by Perry and Randy Howes, and ultimately by Alfred Urie. This was his first screenplay, but he won an Oscar the next year for a movie called Driving Miss Daisy. Ugh. <laughs> on the other hand, he also wrote the book for Parade, which is one of my favorite musicals, so I can't hold too much against him on that one. It does seem like a real shame that Amy Jones did not get to direct it. She had really been putting in a lot of work in the 80s, largely as an editor, but like really consistently trying to move into directing and kind of just wasn't getting the jobs. And it's hard not to think that there's a healthy dollop of sexism playing a role in that.
0: In Hollywood in the 80s? No, couldn't be.
1: She's now the creator and showrunner of The Resident, the medical drama on, I think, ABC.
0: Well, that means that she is probably doing fine financially. Yes. One thing this movie did teach me is that people were prejudiced against Portuguese people in the 1980s. (laughs) And not a thing I really knew. Yeah, not a thing I knew. Didn't realize there was a slur against Portuguese people.
1: I mean, there's a slur for everybody, but I would never have known the slur for
0: Portuguese people. It was so funny.
1: Yeah, I mean you know, I didn't know at the start of the movie that people were Portuguese. You know, it's a pizza movie, I assumed Italian. And I was thinking like, that late 80s is really kind of like the high days of Italian cinema, like building off the Scorsese Coppola stuff of the 70s and 80s, where this is a year after Cher in Moonstruck. And Julia Roberts' hair is exactly like Cher's in Moonstruck in this movie, where it's just big and curly and dark. And it's the same year as Married to the Mob. And you've got my Cousin Vinny, and Goodfellas on the Horizon, and The Godfather Part 3.
0: My god, you are right. It is, it is a heyday of the Italian-American cinema. But of course, this is not Italian, it's Portuguese. But yeah, no, not this one. I don't think anyone is Portuguese in this movie, either. Any actors, you mean? Yeah, any actors. No, I do not think so. Which, I, why is it Portuguese? Like, why is it not I Italian? I mean, maybe there's a... Maybe there's a
1: Portuguese population in Mystic. I don't know. I have been to Mystic, but I was like a child and maybe would have known what Portugal was.
0: Yeah. It's odd. I also was surprised when they were not Italian. And then I was also surprised again when they got prejudiced against for being Portuguese. I do think,
1: you know, there is something likely fairly accurate and also pointed about the fact that the people we see like really living in the town are these... Portuguese-Americans, and mm-hmm.
0: the summer crew are the Charles Gordon III's, or whatever his yeah, name is. Yeah, the wealthy wasps who come in from New York in the summer.
1: Yeah. So, Amy Jones, the original screenwriter, was also originally set to direct it. She, like I said, left because she got in a fight with Sam Goldman Jr. Did you recognize the name of the director of this movie? Um,
0: Donald Petrie? It sounds familiar. Why do I know Petri? He directed How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Ew. Ugh. No, I just looked at his Wikipedia page. (laughs) So you know that Donald
1: Petri is also the director of 2018's Little Italy.
0: Oh my god. How how the Mighty Have Fallen.
1: He directed two
0: pizza rom-coms starring members of the Roberts family. He's probably the only one that can claim that title, too. I I would have to assume so. Oh my god! His like big movies. I was looking at the filmography. It's like this: Miss Congeniality, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, Little Italy. It's just such a straight downward slope. Like Miss Congeniality, still entertaining. How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, we hated. Little Italy. <laughs> Listen to that Little Italy. Episode. You know, last week we talked about High School Musical 3. I had a lot more fun watching Little Italy, a movie I have seen twice. I did enjoy High School Musical 3 less than I enjoyed watching Little Italy. Yeah. We had uh, perhaps newly returning
1: star Hayden Christensen (laughs) as an Italian in Canada. Mark is looking at me because he doesn't know that Hayden Christensen is back in Obi-Wan on Disney+. Plus.
0: I was going to say... I was going to say, the only thing that's made me interested in watching Obi-Wan is the fact that Hayden Christensen might be in it. Because he is in that, it. He is? a Oh. Yes. The fact that he is in it, because that is intriguing to me.
1: It is fascinating to me how resolutely Star Wars is a no-mistakes franchise. Like, much more so where, like, Marvel Studios is no-mistakes in the way of, like, look, we're not going to really double back to the thing you didn't like, but, like, William Hurt is going to be in eight of these movies. So Incredible Hulk always counted because he was in it. Whereas Star Wars is like, on Hayden Christensen's birthday, like, posting clips of scenes from Attack of the Clones, like, the worst romance scenes from Attack of the Clones, being like, Hayden Christensen, we love you, like, you loved, (laughs) like, I'm paraphrasing, but like, we love you, like, you loved Padme in Attack of the Clones. And I'm like, nobody liked this. Yeah. Star
0: Wars resolutely refuses to acknowledge any wrongdoing. And I think that is a flaw that led to the, what's it called? Return of Return of Skywalker. I Rise forgot. of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker in a lot the of ways. The problem with
1: Rise of Skywalker is just scheduling, but they insisted on putting those out every two years.
0: Yes. And I mean, it's like the f- failure to acknowledge mistakes while trying to like retcon a movie that they then felt was a mistake led to just bad writing
1: right but i'm saying like
0: jj abrams
1: was hired for that movie like a year before it had to be done and rewrote the screenplay yes and if they had not been wedded to putting out one of those movies every two years they could have been like we are gonna take some time to really make this thing fit together as opposed to not i think the biggest problem with that movie is is a deadline rush
0: Yes, but also Palpatine is the biggest problem of that movie, bringing him back. Well, look, somehow Palpatine returned. I don't think I ever would have been happy with a return of Palpatine. But you know it's better than (laughs) Rise of Skywalker? (laughs) Mystic Pizza. Mystic Pizza, much better than Star
1: Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Absolutely. You know, I'm delighted that we did this in part because we said that for our Rain Man episode, when we wrap up the Best Picture nominees of... 1988 we were going to come up with our own 1988 top fives and this is a contender for me
0: yeah i have to check my list i wrote again but the ones on that list i it's a tough list but i think it might make it i have been watching some 1988s to flesh out my list uh, my number one is not is it who framed roger though. rabbit it is not who framed roger rabbit but it is on is there is beetlejuice it is not beetlejuice i don't think you're well, gonna what's guess your number? it well no you don't have to tell me I mean, you can, I could can tell you if you really want to know, and you could just cut it, but...
1: No, I want to find out on the episode. Um, okay. Yeah. Like I said, I have been watching some 1988s, so we will do our Rain Man slash 1988 special <laughs> before too long. Oh, good. Uh, getting back to Mystic Pizza, what's a thing that can get us some conversation? The movie had a $6 million budget co-financed by the Goldwyn Company and Virgin Vision. Yes, that virgin, like Richard Branson.
0: How long did that last for?
1: couple of years. I mean, it was one of those things like Vestron Video that we talked about on our Dirty Dancing episode, where it was a company mm. that existed to sell VHS tapes before the studios themselves had gotten into the home video market. Because just like 20 years later, the studios were like, sure, we'll give Netflix the streaming rights for this instant thing. Who wants that when we can sell DVDs in the 80s? They were like, yeah, who cares about home video? Like, we're going to re-release movies in theaters forever. And that's where we make our money. So, companies like Vestron or Virgin would co-finance movies, making it cheaper for the studio, in exchange for the home video rights. So, Virgin got the home video rights for Mystic Pizza in
0: exchange for giving a bunch of money towards this production. Home video, people writing that off, is flabbergasting to me, because nothing makes more sense than wanting to watch movies at home. Part of the thing was just,
1: like, it took them a while to figure out the business model, where you got to keep in mind that, like... For ten or fifteen years, the business model of home video was a cassette is like seventy to one hundred dollars and you sell them oh, to yeah. video rental stores, and then people pay you know five bucks to rent it, and stores turn their profit over time so when that's what you're doing there's a much lower ceiling on the amount of money that you can make selling vhs tapes and like part of what made top gun so huge was that they priced the tapes at 30 dollars, and that was like the cheapest tape that had ever been on the market and people bought it for home
0: yeah what movie did we just talk about this with in an episode i mean we talked about top gun a couple weeks ago yeah oh my god i spaced out for a second but anyway
1: uh for what it's worth virgin video was sold to orion the next year
0: which was
1: orion pictures
0: No, I'm just trying to remember. So that would have been sold in 89. So they were like, what, five years from Silence of the Lambs? Two years. Two years. That's 91. 91, okay.
1: Because Silence of the Lambs is nominated for Best Picture the same year as Beauty and
0: the Beast. Ah, right. Wow, two genre movies.
1: The tale's as old as time. Yeah, two
0: genre movies out of five Best Picture nominees. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. 91, cool year. All right, so I feel like we will discuss the whole movie because it is centered around romance. So do you want to just dive into these points? Um. Or yeah. Do let's do more it. Uh, Mystic Pizza. It was
1: released on October twenty first, nineteen eighty eight. It was a decent size hit, not a huge one, but it went on to do pretty well on home video. So, congratulations to you, Richard Branson and Virgin Vision, and it you know launched the career of Julia Roberts and Annabeth Gish and Lily Taylor to varying degrees of stardom.
0: God, it's gotta. It's it probably hurts to be. The a Gish to the Julia Roberts,
1: yeah. But again, like she did fine, and it's the kind of thing of like being a movie star is a different skill from being an actor. That's true. There's just something different, and there's something kind of ineffable about it. And you know, we said this on Steel Magnolias, but like there is there's a magnetism between Julia Roberts and the camera that like just some people have it and some people don't. And you can be the best actor in the world, and you might not, and you might never be a movie star.
0: Yeah. All right, so. Every week, we break down the romantic plotline into five points to guide conversation. Will, will you take us to point number one?
1: Yeah, so point number one is the beginning of the movie. It's a wedding day! Yay! We
0: love to open on a wedding, because you know things will go just great. We love to open on a wedding.
1: So I ask you now, in the presence of God, family, and friends... To declare your intentions to enter a binding and permanent union with one another. For as long as you both shall draw breath on this earth. No! Jesus Christ, Jojo! So Jojo, played by Lily Taylor, is marrying Bill, played by Vincent Philip D'Onofrio. That was funny casting. He's hot in this movie. He is. He's a big burly man. I'm just used to bald D'Onofrio, so it was weird to see him with hair. I didn't really recognize him with hair. So they're getting married. It's the 80s, so Bill and all of his groomsmen have ruffled shirts. I gotta say, I think the ruffled shirt looks bad with Bill's white tux, but I think it looks kind of good with the burgundy ones the groomsmen are wearing.
0: It never looks good, though. But
1: it's like, I think the burgundy is so, sort of, such a statement color that having a weird shirt weirdly works with it. I guess. Like I said, I kind of liked it with the burgundy. I hated it with the white.
0: Yes. Well, that's true. The wedding dress in this was not as noticeable or offensive as most 80s movies. Because I say that because I don't really remember it. Which is honestly probably a good sign.
1: So they're getting married. But in the middle of the vows, when she's like hearing about forever, Jojo, rather than saying that she is going to marry Bill, she fully faints.
0: So basically, her body physically rejects having to make a decision. Which does carry through for the rest of the movie, honestly.
1: Yeah, JoJo's a fascinating character. At one point, Lily Taylor claimed that the first version of the script she saw had JoJo agree to marry Bill because she had gotten pregnant. And she was very adamant on fighting against that. And I think it's really nice that ultimately that's not what happens, that she marries Bill on her own terms when that ultimately happens.
0: Yeah, I think that her plotline ending in a marriage is done in a way where I am happy that they are married, and I think they have come to a good agreement.
1: It doesn't feel like she's been beaten into the position.
0: Yeah. She's, like, chosen marriage because she loves Bill, but has managed to do it in a way where she feels respected.
1: Yeah. So that's really our point number one. JoJo has collapsed. She's not going to be marrying Bill, and that's okay. She's being supported by her good friends, Kat and Daisy.
0: And this brings us to point two, where we get the love interests for both Kat and Daisy.
1: Before we get into that, we should note that through this movie, the JoJo-Bill relationship is not over. Like, the next day or something like that, Bill shows up at Mystic Pizza, the pizza shop where they all work, and he asks if she's feeling okay all right, fair thing to ask. But then he's like, is everything better? And he asks if November 21st works for a wedding.
0: Well, I think he saw the end of the wedding as a medical emergency, not as her backing out of getting married. I mean, that makes sense. So he is like, okay, so this date like didn't work. Round two, let's try again. This time you won't get sick. I would like to note, I'm pretty sure he
1: gets his November 21st date Because at the end of the movie, they mentioned that the next Thursday is Thanksgiving.
0: Good for him.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the movie, we've got a timeline
0: there. It's just over the course of one fall, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I also mentioned them working at Mystic Pizza, the upstairs pizza joint. Yeah, the classic Portuguese pizza. So at the time that they shot in Connecticut and Rhode Island, there was really a pizza parlor in Mystic called Mystic Pizza that existed before this movie did. They did not shoot there. They shot in another store. But since this movie came out, Mystic Pizza has fully redesigned its interior to look like this movie.
0: I mean, you have to. Do they serve Portuguese pizza at that Mystic Pizza? Is that where this comes from? I mean, I don't know, I guess.
1: But anyway, so Jojo and Bill, they're in this sort of weird relationship space. But our other folks are also starting to meet some men. Cat is played by Annabeth Gish. And she has a partial scholarship to Yale. She'll be starting in the spring semester. So she's still in town for the fall and is trying to make money to pay off the rest of her tuition because it's the 80s and that can be done.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's...
1: it's, I don't get it. (laughs) It was
0: possible. Babysitting to go to Yale.
1: And so she's doing all kinds of jobs. She's working at Mystic Pizza. It's kind of implied she's been doing other jobs too, but she starts babysitting
0: for Tim, who is a... Hot young architect who's new to town. With a six year old daughter and a wife in England. Tim is a regular dilf, is what we're saying. He is. And boy, did he walk on screen and I just go, oh no. (laughs) Okay. He is like, he is hot dad material.
1: I would say off the bat, the thing that made me say, oh, Tim might not be trustworthy is he introduces his daughter Phoebe as a redhead. And that girl is just blonde. Like, it has to be said. We need to firmly police these boundaries of redheadness. And Phoebe ain't one. Tim, I will allow, be called a redhead. Phoebe, none, no,
0: no, none of that. I knew immediately that it would be trouble. He just like was too perfect. And then the wife being abroad, not actually divorced. I was like, this will not end prettily.
1: Yeah, I think one of the interesting things in this is how hazy The movie keeps his relationship with his wife to a certain extent where it's presented as just like my wife is working abroad and you're like, okay, matter of fact. But then Phoebe, the daughter that Kat is babysitting, makes like passing references to the concept of divorce. And you're like, oh, has she like been hearing stuff? Is this relationship rockier? And it's like kind of hard to nail down exactly what the status is.
0: Which I like because an outside observer wouldn't really know. And we're getting Tim through Kat's perspective.
1: And to her, he's just this guy who he's like probably like early 30s.
0: Yeah, early 30s, attractive, smart, interested in when she talks about the stars, which I doubt anyone else is.
1: And he's got a connection to her because he's a Yale graduate. And so there is this like connection there that you imagine is especially appealing to her because the people she is interacting with a lot can't really connect to her
0: about that. Even if they, like, want to, they're just not that type of person. And so there is a real sense of discovery for Kat
1: of, like, oh, this is, like, the kind of world I can enter into. But, you know, we'll talk about this more. Like, she is clearly, like, crushing on him and is being called out on that by Daisy.
0: Yeah. Who, as part of point two, is at the bar when she meets Charlie, the handsome rich guy who is in town off-season, which is rare. Mark. I know this is the same year as Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl, but has anyone
1: ever looked hotter than Julia Roberts with her big hair and that red
0: sweater playing pool? It's, it's hot. Especially the fact that it's she wins the game in one turn. It's so cool.
1: Oh and like, the fact that she does that, and then like the girl that Charlie's with, who is coded as his girlfriend, but we later find out is his sister, just like immediately after that is like, yeah, let's go. And you're like, that's right, yes, because nothing you do will ever match that.
0: You will never top this moment. Best game. Thanks. Thank you. What a game. Anytime. Can we get out of here? Please? It's It's just too hot. But we get, like, no information about him at this point, actually. I don't even know if we have his name.
1: I don't think we do. But he, it did seem like he was like kind of trying to pick her up after showing off with the dartboard.
0: Mm-hmm. But then he leaves, and later he tracks her down and shows up at her house to ask her out on a date. He shows up unannounced at her house, and her mom is like,
1: I wish I'd known you had plans. And she's like, I didn't know I have plans. I don't know this guy's name.
0: And he struggles to pronounce their Portuguese last name. Yes. But he is making an effort, which is the first sign of like, oh, he's a good dude. And she puts on this
1: white dress with this huge boob bow that she had taken with the intention of wearing out and then returning. And they go out to have a fancy dinner.
0: And he drives her in the convertible, uh, which breaks down.
1: The tire goes out. They have to hitch a ride. It's a nice inversion of it happened one night when the same thing happens.
0: I really enjoyed. So he's hitchhiking. It doesn't work. So she goes out and does the like. Bugs Bunny, attractive leg, like, pulling up her skirt a little bit, showing off her leg while hitchhiking, putting her boobs out, and then he goes out and does the same thing, of like, sticking his leg out and leaning out his chest to flag a car down. Then he pulls his pants down, and that's what eventually makes someone stop. But I just like, they have a very playful relationship off the bat. Yeah,
1: it's good. And then when they're at dinner, he tells her that, he was in law school, but he needed a vacation. He needed to get
0: away. Mm-hmm. Like he implies that he is taking some time away from law school, like a, a yes. semester off, which, A.K.A., as we find out later, lying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, he is. Li- he is a liar.
0: But I think this brings us to point three, where we yeah. Get... Those are all our
1: couples. Yeah. So Jojo and Bill are continuing to basically hook up. Where. Uh, there's a moment where Jojo is complaining, like, yeah, I wish he didn't have such a great body. She talks about how she's getting turned on by his wrists.
0: Yeah. And so basically she wants just, a like, friends with benefits situation.
1: Like, close friends with benefits. She, like, yeah. cares about him a lot. She just does not want to be married to him.
0: Whereas Kat is developing a crush. She tries to deny it at first, but especially after Phoebe mentions the divorce, she's getting, like, very much a crush on... Tim and is spending more time with him, but nothing's happening just yet.
1: There are so many good tells even before a character says it outright. Like, just when Tim and Phoebe show up at her show at the planetarium where she's like narrating the stars and she's clearly kind of taken by the fact that they're there. And like the next thing we see, she's reading a book on early Connecticut houses because he's an architect. The moment when it clearly becomes too much is when she has to go home and he takes off his sweater and gives it to her to wear.
0: Just classic. Such a classic move.
1: It's the most sexual sweater exchange that's ever happened. It is. And I think that, again, is like a testament to the strength of the movie. And we've been talking about it like just, you know, sort of observed experience where it's like, right, like nobody's going to be saying outright at this point, like, I want to bone you. It's just like these little interactions that feel so charged, especially when you're young and it hasn't happened before.
0: And it is being told through Kat's perspective, so it might even feel more charged. Then he is seeing it. Right. We have a sense
1: of how significant this is to her without knowing how significant it is to him.
0: Yeah. But then she gets home and
1: Daisy's like, Oh, whose sweater is that? Like really you're wearing the the dad's Your sweater, boss's like the babysitter? And then Daisy tries to give her a box of condoms.
0: Yeah. Um do we want to just finish off up to the fight for her, or do we want to like kind of bounce back and forth like the movie does? Up to you. I think just to like get Cat to you know the big fallout. She then spends more time with him. The one big breaking point is he comes home, and she has a shift at Mystic Pizza that she's just like, oh, they'll cover for me, so that she could spend more time with him. But this is also the same night that Daisy has plans to meet charlie's parents so that causes a huge fight which basically isn't resolved until cat needs daisy Daisy, i'm sorry i forgot Tim needed you right just what the hell do you two do together anyway that's what i'd like to know if i told you it would sound stupid it would sound pathetic daddy boffing the babysitter is a really old story it happens all the time We talk, we read, we listen to Mozart sometimes. If you really believe this 30-year-old guy is going to leave his wife and live happily ever after with you, you're living in a fucking romance novel, Kat. Oh, yeah. Boffing, fucking, screwing. The Great Daisy, nobody's fool. Why don't you start taking cash for your services? It would be more honest.
1: So, yeah, Kat's just been spending time with Tim, like, showing him stars through the telescope, drinking wine, like, watching movies...
0: Trying to establish herself as an adult in his eyes. Which apparently works because they essentially set a date to have sex.
1: Right, yeah. They get Jojo to watch Phoebe. While the two of them go off to the house that he's building and they like have a picnic there. And then they bone in this unfinished house.
0: Right. But back to Charlie and Daisy.
1: Right. So they just like keep on dating, having a fun time. He takes her to his family's house on the coast which the rest of the family isn't at. So they're just, like, walking around the house. They have sex in his Mm. parents' bed. He now tells her the truth, like, that he was kicked out of school for cheating on a final.
0: Their relationship is getting more serious. Like, you know, the revelation of the truth is always one of the signals of, like, oh, this is more than just a quick fling while he's in town.
1: Right, it matters that you know the truth. I can't just, like, pretend to be someone else. Mm -hmm.
0: So they're getting closer. Like I said, she had plans to meet his parents, but she couldn't make it because she had to cover a shift. He's not that upset about it. He does not want her to meet his parents. Yes. And then we can kind of see why when we actually get to the scene where she meets them. So should we go
1: to point four? Should we talk about the fights and the relationships? Yeah, I think we should go to point four. Jojo and Billy... They're getting it on. They're probably not going to have sex. I think they're, they're good Catholic kids. No. They're and they're f- going to do everything but. I think they're fully boning. Oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah, they're fully boning. But they're getting it on in JoJo's parents' house. And he can't do it because he's staring at, like, this hilarious bust of Jesus with the Sacred Heart. Mm-hmm. Where it's, like, it's lit from the inside. So, like,
0: it's kind of glowing. And it's, like, full bust-sized. <laughs> and, no, because that's they're in the church. And then she's like, come to my house. I thought that was in her parents' house. Or maybe house. it was in her parents' And they, like, move somewhere more so. public. Maybe it was, like, the basement and they move upstairs or something. But... Yeah.
1: They move over to the kitchen. Yeah. And she's, like... She is, like, repeatedly trying to give him a blowjob. And he keeps trying to stop her. He's like, I love you. We should make a commitment
0: to each other. I want to do this at the sanctity of God. And then eventually her parents walk in. And he has to flee. Yes.
1: And he runs away. And the next day... On his boat, which he had renamed for her when they were going to get married, he has now renamed again just The Nympho, which he thinks is very funny. Right, and she is unhappy.
0: I'm telling you, Joe, that I love you. Doesn't that mean anything to you? I think that when people love each other, they should make a commitment. They should have a wedding in a church with the blessings of God, for Christ's sakes. Don't you get it, Joe? I'm telling you that I love you. And all you love is my dick. Do you know how that makes me feel?
1: Right. She's like, screw you. I don't want to
0: marry you. Like, thank God it's the 80s and I don't have to marry a jerk. And somehow they eventually just like get over it though.
1: (laughs) Yeah. This one does connect directly to the first fight for Daisy because she and the other girls steal Bill's truck one night And they take it for a joyride to the country club in town. And they're like hanging out, singing, having some drinks just on the country club lawn. And they see Charlie at the country club through the window. And they realize, oh no, he's with that pretty blonde lady who was at the bar
0: with him on the pool night. And then she dumps... I was like, don't crash the car. But I can't tell yeah, I if thought it's... she was going to just ram his convertible. Yeah.
1: Because Daisy takes Bill's truck and starts going.
0: Yeah, I couldn't tell if it's what would be worse. If she crashed it or does what she does, which is dumps Billy's buckets his of catch. fish into the convertible. And it looks disgusting. So it's full of, like, fresh fish just all over the place. And
1: as that's going on... Charlie comes out and introduces this woman as his sister. And he is surprisingly chill about it. Uh, And he compliments her effort.
0: Maybe a little too chill.
1: (laughs) I would say he is too chill about it. Yes. Meanwhile, the next day, Bill is, like, trying to get Jojo. He's like, no, I love you. All you love is my dick. I want a wedding. I want the blessings of God. Yeah. And Jojo has this incredible monologue. You know, I think, again... We talked a bunch about Amy Jones. Alfred Urey, who's the other main credited screenwriter, like, is a playwright. And the fact that this movie comes to a stop for JoJo to just give this monologue in the pizza shop about what she wants. Like, so few movies, even by the 80s, have proper monologues where she can just talk about, like, if he really loved me, he'd wait. But I guess if I really loved him, I'd marry him. And she's just talking through all of it. And Lily Taylor's doing a great job. I just think this movie's kind of magic.
0: No, no. You guys are right. I don't need Bill. I've got a lot of things going, Leona. What is it, honey? One of these days, you're going to tell me what you put in that pizza. I mean, when you retire, right? Absolutely, when I retire. Okay, okay. So I could run this place, and I don't need Bill to do that. And Kat, you're not the only one with the brains. I could go to college, take some business courses. I could take that course, um. Is it? Economics. Okay. Okay. Thanks, you guys. You guys are great. You know, helping me out and supporting me and telling me I made the right decision. I think I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And I love that it's a pizza shop. Because <laughs> they're it's just pizza like shop. cleaning the pizza shop as they have all their monologues.
1: It's a pizza with a secret ingredient. But even the food critic who doesn't really like
0: pizza, likes Mystic Pizza. Oh, I love it. But basically, she talks herself into getting back together with him. And that kind of brings us to point five For them.
1: For them. But while we're talking about fights, we've got to talk about what happens with Kat and Tim.
0: (sighs) Yeah, so immediately after they have sex. They have their sex night, and they're coming back, and they walk in the door. And JoJo is watching Phoebe. But then the wife is there. She's coming early,
1: and it's a—it's like watching a horror movie. It's awful. The wife is just like, "Oh my gosh, yes, you are, uh, your cat." I've heard so much about you. Great. And cat is like shell shocked. Tim is barely talking. Jojo is trying to cover for the whole situation where she's like, "Yeah, I'm so glad you guys are able to get medicine to your mom, right, cat? How's your mom doing?" And as they're going, then. The wife stops them and is like, Tim, aren't you forgetting something? And it's like, what? And he's like, you know, you need to pay them. And it's just like, it feels dirty that like mm-hmm. right after the two of them had sex, then like there's this exchange of money to Jojo, who was actually watching Phoebe. But the fact that it like... hurts. Once Tim and Cat walk through the door, he does not acknowledge her. And then to have money change hands, it's just icky.
0: Yeah. And I really like that it's basically done. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's it. cat get... is devastated, but there's no talk of going back. No. cat's devastated. She runs home. Daisy's still mad at her, basically, like, when she walks in the door, but then sees what goes on and comforts her. And, I mean, that's kind of just, like, she is in pain. And that's yeah, it for a while for her, which sucks, yeah, I mean, but is realistic. The last beat
1: of that is... Tim was really just in town to do this job. And when it wraps up, he takes Phoebe to Mystic Pizza because he said Phoebe wanted to say goodbye to Kat. And then he again, he tries to pay her. And it's like, it's again this weird sense of it's like, okay, dude, like what, what was your perception of all of this?
0: Yeah, he tries to pay for the rest of her Yale education.
1: And she's just she like takes it, but she rips it up. She's just like, I'm not doing this. I'm not being on the hook to this guy.
0: Right. Good for her. While this is happening, Daisy and Charlie meet his parents.
1: Yeah, Daisy finally meets Charlie's parents, who are the waspiest wasps who ever wasped. And his blonde sister is there. And so is the screen debut of Matthew Damon.
0: And also her friend is their, like, maid. And they're friends because the maid is also Portuguese. (laughs) And you can't train the Portuguese.
1: It just can't be done. One of the interesting things in this is that, like, Charlie's parents are working so hard (laughs) to be understanding of, like, Daisy's life situation.
0: They're trying, and Charlie is not making it easy for them. I worked in a pizza place one summer up at the Cape. Remember, Mom? There's certainly nothing wrong with being a waitress.
1: A noble profession, right? (laughs) Certainly a profession at any rate.
0: As opposed to what I do. Just what is it you do? Chuck. It's all right. right. I so rarely get to meet a man of leisure,
1: much less a close relative. Well, I owe it all to you, Dad. You gave me all the advantages that you never had. When Dad was my age, he was a steam pipe fitter. Show her the calluses. Cut it out, Charlie. Right. They're trying really hard to be like, oh, yes, like, waitressing is good and valuable work in a society. (laughs) And, like, it's clear they have no connection to it. But they're trying to be like, yes, of course, like, we need these sort
0: of people. It's bad, but they are putting in an effort.
1: Right. The intention is there and there's value in that. And Charlie jumps to this, like, incredibly performative outrage of, like, ripping off the tablecloth and telling him what for.
0: Well, I mean, his aunt does straight up say, like, that you can't train Portuguese people to be good at anything. And that's what, like, sets him off where he, like, you know, pulls the tablecloth off the table.
1: Yes, but he had been, again, look, (laughs) you know, we keep saying, like, his parents are trying and they are, to a large degree, failing.
0: They're failing, and they're meaner to him than they are to her.
1: Right. But in part, he is really needling them as all this is going on. And when Daisy storms out after he pulls the tablecloth and just kind of destroys the meal, he comes after her, and he's like, yeah, I couldn't believe what they were doing. And she says, like, no, it feels like you manufactured a reason to, like, yell at your family.
0: Yeah, and it's like, I don't want to be your teenage rebellion.
1: I'm not a prop for this, yeah.
0: Which is very perceptive on her part, and she ends the relationship. It's also
1: just, again, a testament to this movie that isn't going for the simplest version of this story.
0: No, because he is using her as
1: rebellion. Right. I appreciate so much how all these relationships are able to be complicated within a movie that's 110
0: minutes. Yeah. So that's their fight. I guess this brings us to point five.
1: Yeah, point number five, we see Jojo and Bill again. At the altar. They're sitting in a car and she's talking Oh no, she's talking like making yeah, making plans for the future. Like, if we're gonna do anything, like I can be married to you, but I still need to be my own person. Like I need to have my own identity outside of that. And Mm -hmm. the camera starts with just the two of their heads in the frame and slowly zooms out until you can see they're sitting in the car in full wedding outfits. And they have gotten married.
0: Mm -hmm. And then they go to Mystic Pizza for the reception.
1: Which seems like a great reception at Connecticut's finest pizza joint. And Charlie shows up at the reception to apologize. And at first, Daisy isn't really having it. But she lets him help her out and scoop ice cream. But because this movie is not a romance, it is part of the 80s, 90s, women supporting each other genre. It ends with the three girls out on the stairs outside Mystic Pizza just like talking about their lives and where they want to go and how they want to still care about each other and love each other. Aww. it's a good movie!
0: So do you find the romances believable? I think yes. Yeah. I think so. I think that the movie does such a good job of not going the easiest route.
1: It dodges the cliche thing with all of them.
0: It does. And I think that, unfortunately, the cat and Tim one is believable we never see tim's side of the story to know like his real feelings but i understand like but it makes sense why he would sleep with her and then treat her that way yeah i mean he still had sex with the babysitter yeah charlie and daisy i think i like that the movie ends with it like we'll give it another shot but it's not like there's a proclamation of love or anything and billy and jojo just got married Billy and JoJo
1: got married, and I like how complicated that one is, too, of, like, figuring out what their marriage looks like and what their marriage looks like in terms of the, like, sort of liberated woman of a small ethnic community in the 80s. Mm -hmm.
0: So, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most and 1 being the least believable, where would you rate this?
1: It might just be because I liked it, but I want to call this a 10.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I'd call it a 10... Because some of it is a little contrived of, like, the main thing for me is the sister.
1: Yeah, that's true. The sister is a little a little cute.
0: So I will say a nine.
1: Yeah, I, I think a nine is good for me, too.
0: Do you think any of these people are dateable?
1: Cat, uh, yes. 100%. Cat, yes. Cat seems great. Uh, Daisy seems pretty darn dateable, although the whole, like, fish in the car thing
0: is a little bit alarming. <laughs> yeah. Daisy's iffy for me. JoJo's a no, because she has too much energy, and I can't keep up. I think JoJo would be fun to date. I don't know that I want to be with her
1: long term. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also have more energy than you do. Tim, hard no. Tim's a no, Charlie's a no. Bill is probably also a no, but Bill is the best of the three,
0: I think. He's the best of the three, but he still wrote Nympho on his boat. Yeah, that's the problem. Do you think, well, we know Tim and Kat aren't together, but do we think Daisy and Charlie and Billy and JoJo will stay together? I think Jojo and Bill are going to make it. I think so, too.
1: Charlie and Daisy, probably not. No, I agree. Now, if you did have to pick someone in Mystic Pizza to date, whom would you choose?
0: I mean, my first thought is Leona, the pizza shop owner, because she makes a good pizza. That's what I was going to say. She's also really sweet and supportive. She's also really sweet and supportive and treats the girls like her daughters.
1: It's really sweet when Kat rips up the check and then... At the reception, Leona pulls her aside and is like, I don't have kids.
0: You three are my daughters. I'm paying for you to go to college. Mm -hmm. Especially because it's the 80s and you could do that. Yeah. Especially also now that her business is booming. Because they got the good review. Because they got the good review. Aw. Now, Will, when life keeps giving you anchovies, cover them up with some extra cheese. Mark. Do you think
1: Mystic Pizza should be made into a stage musical as happened in a 2008 episode of 30
0: Rock? Having now seen Mystic Pizza, I think... Sorry, 2007 episode of 30 Rock. I think a Mystic Pizza musical would be fun. I think it would lose some of the magic. Because a lot of the magic is how realistic everything is.
1: What if the songs were by Melissa Etheridge? Did it happen? It was announced in 2019, a number of articles referenced the 30 Rock episode in it. Yeah, how do you not? And the musical ultimately premiered in Maine in October 2021. Oh, my God. Uh,
0: How were the reviews?
1: I don't know. I didn't find them. It it has not yet been to Broadway, so there's that. My God. But Mystic Pizza the musical is a thing.
0: We should watch it if it comes to DC.
1: Oh, we will watch it if it comes to DC. (laughs) Um, Also, in sort of the Mystic Pizza universe, after it came out, Sam Goldman Jr. announced a sequel called Return to Mystic Pizza and hired someone to write a script, but obviously that never manifested. And in the fall of 1996, ABC aired 10 episodes of a sitcom called Townies, where Molly Ringwald, Jenna Elfman, and Lauren Graham were friends and waitresses at a town in Gloucester.
0: Oh my god, that sounds... I don't think it would capture the magic.
1: Well, it was cancelled in the fall that it premiered,
0: so... (laughs) Yikes. Uh... All right, I think that's about it for this movie.
1: I'm delighted to have watched it. It was not at all what I expected. Me and too. all the better for it.
0: Next week, we will be covering another movie written by
1: Amy Jones. Next week is our first episode coming out after I Am Married. So this
0: feels appropriate. <laughs> we are doing Indecent Proposal. A movie about a good, healthy marriage, I yeah, believe. Yeah, I'm sure. For sure. But yeah, written by the same person as Mystic Pizza. <laughs> I'm very curious about this back-to-back. I'm glad we scheduled it this way accidentally. Yeah, I didn't know. I was just like, I'm getting married. What's a wedding movie?
1: Indecent proposal.
0: <laughs> Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love Love Pod, and you can email us questions and suggestions at love, love, pod at gmail.com.
1: Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, and heck, give us a review on Spotify, too.
0: <sighs> All right, Will. Last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from Mystic Pizza?
1: You know what? We don't do it much anymore, and you got to be really respectful about it. But meeting people in bars can be cool. I have done it, and it's
0: cool. If it's a mutually expected quick thing, a little harmless lie isn't terrible. But if you're going to go for any sort of emotional connection, you have to clear it up first. That's true, yeah. All right. Well, until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. You can always depend on the kindness of strangers. To buck up your spirit and shield you from dangers. Now
1: here's a tip from Brad you won't regret. A
0: stranger's
1: just don't friend. You have it. You have